Welcome to The Observer Effect, a podcast of travel stories. Each week we hope to bring you a conversation with someone we meet overseas, and at least one good story. If I took you out hunting now, first bird in my box would be Tango, because yeah. that's what she does and that's what she wants to do. Yeah. I wouldn't take Lima, because if it's cold, she's saying, <laughs> she's just sitting in a chair saying, it's a bit chilly, can't you just bring me down some food? You know? yeah. um, they're all very, very different. Yeah. Um, Fatty's, actually she's a bit boring, Fatty. Yeah. She's, she's homebred, um, she's quite nervous, she's big, very strong and powerful. Um, but there's there's not not a lot of personality about it. We used yeah. to, I, I tell you about Nigel. Nigel unfortunately is dead now. Nigel's a, a male golden eagle. Mm-hmm. Came from Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, was shot in Saudi Arabia. Was found in the desert. Shot. You ever heard of Sheikh Al Maktoum? No. Sheikh Al Maktoum is a very very wealthy man out in the Middle East, and he does racehorses. And if you ever see like Kentucky Derby, something yeah. like that. Well, that's where my mum was from, Kentucky too. Yeah. Kentucky Derby or any of the big American races. Mm-hmm or the UK races, or whatever, the jockey club in Hong Kong or something like that. All the winners are usually Sheikh al Maktoum, very, very wealthy man. Now, in the Middle East, as you're probably aware, falconry has a great deal of esteem, and if you want to show how big you really is and how manly you are, you have lots and lots of falcons, mm-hmm. okay? And obviously, you can't fly all those falcons, so you have people that won't ever fly them. You have your own personal falconers. Mm-hmm. Now, two of the Sheikh's falconers were out in the desert exercising some of the falcons, and they found this golden eagle mm-hmm. with a broken wing. He shot through the left wing. So they took it. Have you been to Abu Dhabi? No, not yet. In Abu Dhabi, there's a falconry hospital. Mm. Okay, because there's so many falcons out there, obviously you need a specialised hospital. And because in the Middle East money is no object, it's got CAT scans, it's got MRIs, it's got every latest thing. So lucky old Nigel was taken there. And at the time, the head surgeon was from Edinburgh, and his name was Nigel Barton. Mm. Okay, so what he did, he put a metal plate in his eagle's wing, and the original plan was to put it back into the wild, but he couldn't fly properly. It wasn't good enough. He had, didn't have full lateral extension and, he, and it wasn't strong enough. Mm-hmm. So he rang here, being Scottish, he knew the setup, and said, could you look after him? Mm-hmm. So we had him for 29 and a half years, mm-hmm. and he was a real star. You ask anybody around here, people twice, Chris and I just said, people have called in to see Nigel. Wow. He used to do eagle appearances, just stand at the the door of the hotel when we had VIPs here, when we had the Ryder Cup, he sat on both the European captain and the American captain's hand, when he sat on Putin's hand when he was here, sat on Tony Blair's hand, he was just a star, <coughs> and he was a real character, he, was, he would stand quite happily in a, in a ballroom with 50 people, uh, unfortunately about three weeks ago he had a massive heart attack and died.
we had a lovely little peregrine falcon, you know, two peregrine falcon bed. We still got matches on holiday at home, called Robin. Okay. Now, when we exercise the peregrines, they catch their food in the air, remember? Mm-hmm. So we use what we call a lure, which is like a string, yeah. it's a pad with feathers on it, but it's got a lump of meat on it. Yeah. And we spin it around like it's a bird. How high does it go? Well, not that, not we, that we, our, our string is perhaps six to eight feet, okay, yeah. but the falcon will go up maybe a thousand feet. Right, right. Because right. he gets the speed to come down. The faster it goes up, the higher it goes up, the faster it comes down, more chance of catching it. <laughs> and the skill of the falcon is pulling it away before he gets to it. Yeah. And he comes through, says, ah, next time, and you get him doing what we call passes. So he's yeah, yeah. doing all this. It's just almost like bullfighting. It is very, very similar. Yeah, I never thought about it. Yeah, it is very similar. So yeah. the, the lure is the king. Yeah. And then eventually, you want him to get rewarded because he's getting tired now, yeah? Mm-hmm. So you throw it up in the air and pretend that he's caught it. He hits it and goes, ha! Big piece of food. Yeah. And then he's, he's fine. That's him done. As far as he's concerned, he's hunted, he's yeah. caught it. You can put it back in his room and go to sleep. Yeah. Now, Rum was, is 16 years old. So he's been doing this for a long time. Okay? And he tries all sorts of tricks to catch you out. Because he knows that the sooner he hits that, the less flying he has to do, yeah. then he doesn't like flying. So what he will do is, like, see these houses here? Yeah. Now you see there's a block, and then there's a little gap there? Yeah. Now there's a gap through there. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. It goes right through. He would come about a foot above the hedge, all the way through there. But he's gone over the top of the houses. Yeah. So when you watch him go, you're like, oh, he's yeah. gone over the house. And then he comes here. <laughs> I've seen him, you remember the Land Rovers were all parked yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen him come under the Land Rovers. Okay? He's come over the top of the, the thing here, yeah. drops down, I've got guests standing here, he'll come through the gap between guests. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay? He is incredible. <laughs> you really, I love flying him because it's a real yeah. challenge, it's a real tussle with him. Yeah. At the moment we find a little one called Wallace, the one you saw, and he's good, but he's not got that little sneakiness that yeah. he had. So, and he's learned that. Yeah. He's learned that over over time. Mm-hmm. He's a lovely little character. This episode isn't really about Rum, the peregrine falcon. Though peregrine does mean pilgrim, it's about Steve, whom we met at Glen Eagles in Scotland, aptly named because it's one of the premier falconry centers in all of Britain. Our interest on the observer effect is in interconnection, We interview people to discover their stories of integration or epiphany abroad. That's why we support Kiva, a micro-lending program that lets you lend, not give, money to small business owners around the world who would otherwise have trouble accessing capital. Look for the link on our webpage. It's kiva.org, K-I-V-A. That's why an American expat in Paris provides our music. Dana Boulay. Check her out, too. And that's why we wanted to talk to Steve about his falconry and how he started. Somewhat randomly, the geologist H.L. Hawkins says, of course, nothing can possibly be really meaningless. Appreciation, or lack of it, of the significance of anything depends on the experience and psychological makeup of the observer. Steve actually had an example of this playing out. I had a lady about 
what, two years ago? Was that here? I was just coming back in. And she said, um, Excuse me, do you work here? I said, yes, I think you're really cruel. And I was in quite a magnanimous mood that day. So I said, Okay, come talk to me, tell me yeah, why. Yeah. She said, You should let these birds go. They want to fly. <laughs> I said, Okay. Assuming you're right, shall we do that? She said, What do you mean? I said, Well, you stay here. And I went and got two Delta Infanta. Yeah, I think it was Delta Infanta. Or Tango. Or and I said, Okay. And I took them out and I just threw them at the first chase. I said, Go, fly, fly, my pretties. <laughs> and I turned and I walked back in here. And before I got in here, they were sitting on those scales. And they followed me in through the door, and she said, why have you done that? And I said, well, are you prepared to listen? She said, yeah, yeah. So I spent half an hour, three quarters of an hour, chatting away, took mm -hmm. her down the corridor, showed her, brought one out, fed her on the fist. And she said, I never realised. I said, well, at least you've had the grace to say that, and not just condemn me. I said, because there's five guys work here, folk of us, mm -hmm. and the worst insult you can give them is to say they're cruel to those birds because we all love our birds here. We've all got our own birds, we all fly our own birds. If you come to my house now, I've got an owl, I've got a peregrine falcon, I've got a harris hawk. And if you say I'm cruel, I'll be very upset. Yeah. Um, and I said, this, they know what they're doing. This is easy. This is the good life. How did you get from journalism to uh, falconry? It's a long story. Securities okay. route. Go for it. Um, <laughs> I went. I started off as a. My first degree was in quantity surveying, which is measuring all of the. When you architect uses drawings, you measure all the drawings and you work out how many bricks, how much concrete, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I did that for quite a long time. And then one day I was sitting in the office and I read a magazine and it said, um, technical writers needed. Yeah. So I rang this guy up and I said, look, I don't know anything about writing, but I've just finished a degree in building, so I know the technical side. You teach me the writing and I'll have a go. So he said, oh, you sound interesting. So I went to London and I got the job and I loved it and it was great. And we found you, that... Are you from here, by the way? I'm from Sheffield, Sheffield which is yeah. Yorkshire in the middle, right in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Pittsburgh of, of England. <laughs> it's a steel town. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they used to make the steel, don't they? Anymore. It's all in Korea now and yeah. Japan and that. But that was originally... So, yeah, um, so I went to the, to London and absolutely loved it. What I was doing there was great fun. And I found that a lot of the people that were doing the writing were very good writers, but weren't particularly technical. Yeah. And very quickly we developed a trade-off. So they'd come to me and say, Steve, how does, how does this work? And I'd say, well, you show me how to write this up. And, I'll, and, we, we, and we learned from each other. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed it. I think I had a bit of a natural partial for it. And then I gradually worked my way up and I finished up editing a magazine. Yeah. And then the company I worked for got taken over by another company that did international magazines. So I had a great time travelling with China and America and all over Europe and Scandinavia, everywhere. And then I came back and I had a bad breakup with a girl, mm -hmm. as it always happens. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking, what's this all about? You know. And then I was getting more and more out of sync with the city, I didn't like the amount of people, the impersonality, um, just nobody talks to you, nobody gives a damn about you, people live next to each other and they don't know the old lady's died and they've been there three weeks and all that sort of stuff. And one day... I've heard that a lot about London, it's a hard place to live. It is, because it's, 
it's people from all over, it's a great place, very vibrant, but it's people from all over the world and there's no sense of community at all. Nobody gives a monkeys. And I'll tell you what happened, what really did it for me, and it was the start of a, the getting out. Mm-hmm. I went back home to see my folks who still live in Sheffield, down in Sheffield. And I had a sort of a crazy week over Christmas, you know, mm-hmm. you, were, you were out late drinking and partying. Mm-hmm. Went back to, to, to London, straight back into work. And on my, my first journey into work, on the train, I fainted, I collapsed. Just exhaustion and... You know, and when I woke up, I woke up in the train, on the floor, in the station, and everybody got off the train. Nobody helped me? Nobody you. helped me. I was laid on the floor, and a guard eventually came in and said, Oh, you're all right, you're all right, my friend. So the whole commuter train got off and left me on the floor. And that was the start of me saying, These people are horrible, you know. So what I did, after this break up with this girl, that was the second nail in the coffin, and I said, Right, okay, what, what do we do? You know, how do we get out of this? So... I opened a bottle of red wine, I was smoking cigarettes at the time, and I sat on the floor of my house and just thought about what to do. You know? and, and the only thing I could come up with, when I was a kid, I used to like being out in the countryside. I had an air rifle, I used to shoot rabbits and stuff. Um, I just started doing a little bit of clay pigeon shooting, you know, like they have up here. And I thought, I wonder if I can combine all these things. So I had a look around and I found a gamekeeping idea of you know going out work, living on an estate looking after pheasant hunting shooting fishing sort of thing. Yeah. and I thought well if you can go to college for that so I looked up and there were lots and lots of colleges there were two that really struck me one was in right on the top of Scotland called Thurso mm-hmm. which is right if you imagine the top of Scotland it's there you can't get any further north yeah and then one is in the Lake District and I thought I was quite old I was 34 35 then so I thought well I, I, I like them both but that one I thought was a bit too out of it too mm-hmm. far away so I went back and I signed up here and I got in there and I did a four-year course. In the Lakes District? In the Lakes District, which is again, oh absolutely beautiful. It's in Penrith. And so I lived in all around. I lived in a caravan on a farm. Who gets to do that? That's incredible. Uh, <laughs> and I was really, really lucky because I just took to it like anything. And the second day I was at college, I was walking down the college drive and there was a young lad about 17, 16, 17, walking up with a harrisock on his hand. And I said, what the hell is that? You know, and, and we got talking. And he said, oh, you should come down. We've got a falconry club at the school. So I said, well, that sounds interesting. <laughs> so I went down, and it was the old stables that they converted into what they call the muse, which is the place where you keep your falcons. And they had a couple of harriers, a couple of falcons, a couple of eagles. And I thought, wow, this is great. You know, so I got chatting to all the guys. And then, because you're going down, you're into it, you're learning. I was interested, so I was wanting to learn. And I started doing... Basically, all the shooting jobs, you know, the cleaning the pool, as you do. If you if you go for horses, you do the same, whatever. Yeah. And I was doing that. And then one day, somebody said, um, they rang me and said, Oh, you're going to the club? I said, Yes, could you put my two birds out on the lawn? Because I can't get there at all. So I said, What, me pick them up? He said, Yeah, you, you know what you're doing, you're doing, you know. So I said, Yeah, okay. So I did that. And that, all, you know, these little jobs. And then one guy well, said, I, How did you feel that first time that you picked them up? I, I was terrified. Them, yeah. I was absolutely terrified. Cause, Why? Well, a, I thought I wasn't good enough. Yeah. B, I thought I'd lose it. Yeah. C, I thought I'd hurt it. Yeah. Is it very precise or is it difficult? There's a lot of things do? that okay. can go wrong and there's a lot of personal things in it. So if mm. you've got your bird, mm. you would be quite choosy about who you let handle it. Yeah. yeah. It's like if you've got a fancy car, you don't let your 18-year-old boy drive it, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. and there's certain... So, I was thinking, are you sure? And anyway, I did it, and it was fine. And then the birds accepted you. Yeah, and, and it worked, and then I really enjoyed it. And then, <laughs> to cut a long story short, after about eight to ten months, 
and I'd been out with the guys flying and I'd handled birds and I was getting more and more confident and I really enjoyed it. And I got a phone call again and the guy said, uh, so-and-so's um, finishing his college and he's leaving and he wants to sell his parasol and you should buy it. And I said, no, 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 oh, no, no, I'm not ready for it. I said, you are, you're ready for that. And I said, no, I'm terrified. I've got no way to, I've got no way to keep it. And he said, well, you've got a caravan, just build a little thing inside of your caravan. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I've got a little household called Harry, as it would be. Uh, Can I ask how much did it cost? He gave it to me. I, he let me have it. Wow, that's great. Because he says, you, I know you'll look after it, you know, so mm -hmm. free to a good home, sort of thing. And um, I had him for three years, two or th no, nearly three years. Um, and then a really horrible thing happened. I, one day I tied him too close to another Harrisot, who killed him, basically. When you put him on those perches, and I'd left the, the string too long, and he got over there and this one killed him. So I was mortified, and I very nearly gave it up, and then a couple of the guys who were at the school said, it's happened, you know, it's happened to me, it's happened to him, and they said, you'll never do it again. And I haven't in 25 years, you know. So then I carried on, and then, I finished my, my degree and I got a placement on an estate and this is a really, really weird coincidence. When I got to the estate, I was the junior keeper, obviously, because I had just qualified, and the head keeper's wife had a house up. Uh, and she was getting bored with it, basically. She got it because she could and, mm -hmm. and I took it on and I was back into it again then. Yeah. And then I did that for a while and I worked on the keeping. And, I don't know if you know about gatekeeping, but you're doing it any time at all. You're, you're working 26 hours a day, you know what I mean? We were breeding pheasants. You were looking at pheasants on the field two, every two hours, day and night. You were out lamping for foxes in yeah. the middle of the night. Yeah. Then during the day, you've got all the daytime stuff. In the season, you've got guests coming to shoot. You have to look after them and provide. You know, So it's it's great, but it's, oh, it's hard work. Do you get long vacations or no? Just... You do it for the love of it. You get, you get, you get no money. Mm -hmm. You get to live in a little house, usually a beautiful little cottage, which is quite often rent-free or minimal. Yeah. Your parents rent, mm -hmm. and you get you usually get a last Land Rover as your company car. Yeah, and that's and you're out in a, you know, you're having fun on your own. So that's what it's all about. Yeah, and I did that for quite a long time, and I enjoyed it like that. The real reason I stopped doing that, I started getting lonely. Mm. I'm quite a people person. I'm quite gregarious. I can tell. I knew you'd give a good story. Yeah. And I started to look around. I, I didn't want to just walk away, but I started to look around. And then another friend from the college days rang me and he said, there's a guy in the Southern Lakes who is looking for an apprentice falconer in his falconer company. So I went for an interview. Didn't tell my boss at the time. Uh, and got that. Mm -hmm. So left the other place. There's a little bit of rankling because they didn't want me to go over. I said, well, I'll Sorry about going. So I went and then did a couple and moved around, sort of moving up, second apprentice, third apprentice, mm -hmm. and eventually mm -hmm. finished up just down the road. There's another Falconer Centre down the road there. Um, and I worked there and he had 70 odd birds, so I was handling bald eagles and battler eagles from Africa and Asian falcons and Arabic falcons. He really had a good grounding, you know. Mm -hmm. The guy was a good teacher. Um, and then we had a bit of a falling out over ethics more than anything else um, and treating people badly which I don't like doing mm -hmm. so I said well I'm sorry I'm, I'm going 
And he said, yeah, okay, if that's how you feel. And then his wife said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know, but I can't do this, you know. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, she had a horse at the riding stables here yeah. in livery. Yeah. And she said, they're looking for a handyman there. Now, I knew this was here, mm-hmm. and this is like what I wanted to do, because this is the best in Britain, basically. And I thought, well, if I can get in there, I'm not far away from here. So I got in there, and I became a handyman for two years, mm-hmm. and I kept wandering across here at lunchtime, I chatted to the guys, mm-hmm. and they said, have you done any folk? And I said, yeah, done a bit, and we got chatted. And then uh, somebody left, I applied, and when I applied, they said, it's Stephen Emma Ford who run this, they're the directors, and they said, tell us about your Falcon experience, so I told them. They said, do you know anything about Land Rovers? Well, funnily enough, when I was a gamekeeper, uh, do you know anything about dogs? I said, well, I used to run five families and two Labrador when I was a keeper. And they virtually said, oh, sounds like you're in then. Yeah. And that was 2004, no, two, 2002. Wow. So I've been here ever since. And I do falconry, and I do off-road, and I do gun dogs. And I love it. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my office. Um, Can you describe it for the listening audience? Well, Can we're looking at a massive, big pane windows in brilliant, bright sunshine, blue skies, greenery everywhere, big open flying field or lawn here with metal perches about five feet tall. There's a little stone veranda over on the far side. There's mature trees all around. Shadows lent in now because it's getting to four o'clock, five o'clock. It's the golden hour. It's absolutely glorious. If, I, if you're a cameraman, the light is perfect, isn't mm-hmm. it? Um, and I'm so lucky because every day I get to, even if there's no guests in the hotel, I fly birds. Yeah. And I can take them out there and I've trained young birds on these perches, I fly birds around here, I exercise them through these lovely old Scots pine trees that you see here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when we do have guests, we can introduce them to it and, and I love that as well. Yeah. I like, love to see people's faces. Yeah. It's like Alison this morning, I mean, the grin on her face when she was, when he was coming by, I mean, I know she spoke to you about it, but oh, yeah. girl was coming by, and I said to her, you know, she's a madam, she, yeah. she'll, she might go and sit in a tree for a minute or something, and she does, but she's, and, and it's just such a lovely feeling, yeah. and every time, every time I've done, whatever I've done, if I've gone out hunting, caught ten rabbits, yeah. caught no rabbits, it's pissing with rain, it's cold, whatever you do, when you get back here and you say to the guests, what did you enjoy about that, and they just say, Holding that bird on my hand, yeah. having that bird so close to me, a wild animal, essentially, which it is. Because mm-hmm. if you let Largo, we had this morning, female Harris, or 10 years old, you let her go, she can look after herself. Yeah. She can hunt for herself. I mean, I've lost, if I had a pound, excuse me, if I had a pound for every rabbit she'd caught, I'd be a very wealthy man. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Pheasant, duck, partridge, you, she could live up, no problem, but she comes straight back here. Because it's easy. <laughs> That's the easy option, you know. Yeah. So. Uh, let me ask, um, our podcast is about travel stories particularly, and you mentioned you've been to China and yeah, all China, around the yeah. world. Do you yeah. have any really good oh, yeah. travel story? Just yeah. like a little, you know, enclosed uh, story you could tell. Well, we went to um, Borneo. Mm. Uh, Sarawak yeah, in Borneo yeah, yeah. and I was doing a story there and I met some guys who ran a PR company uh, English guys uh, and one of their friends his brother 
was uh, a Dayak, the local indigenous tribe. Okay. So we went pig sticking with, okay. the, with them, uh, and they go through the jungle with these big long things and these these little bows, and you stick them, and then you put them on a fire. That's uh, possible to do. You can just creep up on them. You've got. Well, I was rubbish at it, but these guys have been doing it all their lives, you know. And it's. And they got three or four. And they're, they're not full grown. They're about that big, but they're beautiful tasting, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And they're yeah. wild. You know? Yeah, yeah. So we did this, and we went back to the, they call them long houses, and they're like on stilts. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they used to keep the animals in one end and all that sort of stuff. So we went back, and we're sitting around, there's a, there's a fire, and then obviously there's a hole in the roof for the fire to go out, the smoke to go out. And there was like a, it was like a wagon wheel, but with no spokes in the middle, you know what I mean? Just like a wooden circle. Yeah. And there were skulls all attached to the thing. Lots of skulls on the thing. So you just looked up yeah. and saw the skull. <laughs> I've got my, my bit of pork pig, you know, I'm chewing away and I'm in some local juice or whatever it was. And, and I said, uh, <laughs> Michael, of course, I said, are, they, are they monkeys? And Michael said, no, Japanese. I said, beg your pardon? And he said, no, they're Japanese. My grandfather killed them. So when, when in the war, when the, the Japanese were always born, you know, Obviously, they repressed the local diets and the diets attacked them back. And they were basically headhunters. And these were all Japanese skulls. And I'm thinking, all right. <laughs> so that was an interesting little story. Um, what else? Wait, so, uh, I mean, I don't know, did they, did they eat them? Like, I don't, I, I asked. Did you ask more? Like, I, I did. I asked, I asked if they were cannibals and they, they laughed. <laughs> and then the son said, no, 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 just, just kill them. But I think they did eat them. <sighs> it wouldn't have surprised me if yeah. they were them, you know, yeah. the way he said it. Yeah. They're lovely people. Sure. Fantastic people. And the hospitality was fantastic. And th this is in the 70s or 80s? Uh, let me think. I left to go on to London in 79. That would be early 90s, I would say. Okay. okay. Yeah. So those skulls were there for a while. 50 years. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. I mean, they were bleached white skulls, and they were almost totally 30 or 40. Yeah. And because they were quite small, I thought they were monkeys, but yeah, 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 yeah. they weren't. No. That's a great story. So that was good fun. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, had, I had a friend, when I lived in London, I met a friend called Clive, and he worked for the NME, which is the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New Musical Express, yeah. and he was quite high up in the NME, mm -hmm. and he had a bit of a epiphany as well, and he got fed up with the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So what he did, he went another way. He went to learn Japanese and Chinese, mm -hmm. and he did a year in Kobe, mm -hmm. Japan, in Japan. Mm -hmm. at university, and he did a year in Tianjin, just south of Beijing, mm -hmm. uh, and then he did two years at Leeds, pulling it all together. Um, and while he was at Tianjin, I flew out to meet him on, when he finished his college and we did seven weeks backpacking around China, mm -hmm. which was fantastic because he spoke Chinese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were, had lots and lots of doors open to us mm -hmm. and we went off the beaten track um, and we went out to the way in the Stone Forest and uh, Xi'an, where all those terracotta warriors are, mm -hmm. we went to the Panda Sanctuary and went everywhere and we were I wasn't bothered at all because I couldn't speak. I'm, I'm quite. A, I like languages, but Chinese and was, you know, French and Spanish can get by in. But yeah, I uh, picked up little bits. But Clive was great. He was just into it. Um, 
so we went there and then we went down to a place called Kunming, which is down Guangzhou. Spring City. Yeah, down to, mm-hmm. and we stayed in a little hostel there. Now, if you've been there, you know the hostel's about three pounds for quite a nice little place. Oh, yeah. So we, we went there and we sat, we had a little balcony, wooden veranda, and we got some Qingdao or some, 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 some beer or some local beer. And we sat on the veranda just saying, this is the life. And they were repairing the road in front of us, I think. And a big old steamroller, we call them steamrollers, you know the road rollers? Yeah. They're not steam, but we call them steamrollers. Huge, big old yellow thing. I think it might have been a British one that had been gone across. Came around the corner to roll the new tarmac. Mm. And there was a wee girl driving it, who was about 17. Yeah. In a white lace dress. <laughs> like a wedding dress, it was, but it was a smart white, like a western dress, because it was quite like the western stuff. And she had long, white lace gloves on. And Clive and I were just saying, this is the most surreal sight in the world. You know, we're sitting on the balcony in Kunming, watching the road being made by and, and she just... And we never find out why or what she was doing, but... She just passed by. Yeah, that was it. Those little stories that you could just... That's live like forever. Yeah. It's a good life. It's good. Well, thank you so much for sharing. This You're welcome. wonderful. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. It's nice to talk. It is. I'm a bit of a... Do you know the word leather? No. It's a Scottish word, it means somebody who talks too much. <laughs>